friends, let me remind you and invite you to remain standing out of gratitude uh, for God and His powerful Word as He speaks to us the good news this morning of His Son, Jesus Christ. And you can grab your Bible and turn to Luke. Chapter 4 is where we will be together this morning. If you do not have a Bible, we would love if you would grab one of the blue ones that should be in a chair back in front of you and turn to page 860 as we want to consider together this morning verses 31 through 44. So we want to finish the rest of Luke chapter 4 as we continue in our studies through Luke's gospel, a study that began all the way back in December, slowly but surely. We're making our way through what Luke wants us to know about Jesus Christ. And so, children, as I read the passage here in just a second, see what you can discover in this word about Jesus' power. See what this passage has to say about Jesus' authority as I read it in your hearing. And then I want to, after reading it, pray that God would bless our study of his word and then we will jump in together. So let us hear now, for God is indeed speaking to us now through his word. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And Redeemer Church, what do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray. All together, Father, we thank you that your word is perfect, that it is powerful, that it speaks unto us the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, the good news that sinners can be made right before you only because of his righteousness that you give to us that we can receive only by faith. 
So Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our, heart, our eyes by the power of your Spirit to behold wonderful things from your Word, that you would help us to hear with eagerness, with delight, with expectancy for your Spirit to move among us, for me to preach, as your Word says, I must, with boldness, with clarity, as a dying man unto dying people. And Lord, we want to hear even this morning, as people unsure ever to hear another sermon. So let us listen now. In light of eternity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, maybe you've read it or maybe you've seen the movie that the book gave birth to just a few years ago, you may recall that, of course, in Narnia, there's the great villain, the White Witch, and part of her rule of of darkness and evil in Narnia is that she's cast a spell over that magical land and decreed that it's always winter, but never Christmas. So it's always cold, it's always dark, it's always dreary, it's always bleak. But eventually, in the story, the great Lion King, Aslan, shows up. He's on the move, the book says, and one of the earliest indications that Aslan, the king, has finally arrived is that the snow starts melting. And somewhere I recall in the book, C.S. Lewis writes of Edmund, who at that moment was in the White Witch's sleigh, and he begins to see these patches of grass show up all over the place. And C.S. Lewis says something to the effect of, it surely would not mean that much to you, unless you had been in the snow white as long as Edmund had, to know just how much of a relief it was to see the green grass finally appearing. And I tell you that because this morning in our text we see that God's Son, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, He is on the move. The kingdom has come with the Savior and things are starting to change. His power of, of the kingdom is beginning to appear all over the place as we'll see in our text. Relief is coming to many who are trapped in the bonds and the chains of the evil one. And the simple question that we want to consider this morning, even as we look at this passage together, is the kingdom relief of Jesus Christ going to bring belief to those to whom he ministers. So if you were with us last week, what we saw Jesus do is preach in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth. He stood up on one Sabbath day. He took as his text Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and once he had read the text, he sat down and he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, we saw last week, is a, it's a passage about the coming of God's Messiah, who ushers in God's kingdom. And Jesus, in his sermon, simply says, The kingdom has arrived. And so if you want to even consider a simple way of thinking about our text this morning, mainly verses 31 through 41, is something like a sermon illustration or sermon illustrations of Jesus' exposition of Isaiah chapter 61. What does it exactly look like that the kingdom is now dawning upon the earth? So the simple point we want to consider, the main theme of this passage, is that all authority in the kingdom belongs to Jesus Christ. We want to see, maybe for the first time, we want to see maybe for the first time in a while, the power of Jesus' kingdom authority. 
And even think about that word, kids, authority. What comes into your mind when you think about authority? Is it something good? Is it something not so good? You know, students, I imagine, if you think about authority, you probably begin to think about the authority of your parents, or maybe some of you are soon to become independent from your home, and you're longing for the day when you will finally be the authority in your life and finally in charge. I want you to see this morning, once again, the goodness and graciousness of Jesus' authority. And I pray that even if you're in here this morning and you have yet to come to Jesus Christ in faith, that you come in here and sit in here, as the Bible would say, as an enemy of God, that you would leave this morning as a citizen of His heavenly kingdom. So if you just kind of glance your eyes through our text, you'll see that it's got four simple scenes that we're going to look at. There's the first scene of of Jesus, once again, teaching in a synagogue. The second scene happens in Simon Peter's house. The third scene happens at sunset on the Sabbath day. And then the fourth scene is all about sermons at sunrise, the day after the Sabbath. And with each scene... I want us to see something that is true about Jesus' power, about Jesus' authority, the first of which is that he is the powerful teacher. Look at verse 31 once again. And Jesus went down to Capernaum and the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So Capernaum was a city, still is, on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been there before, had the chance maybe to even look at pictures of Capernaum. It's a beautiful, scenic, seaside city that would become something of home base in Jesus' great Galilean ministry. It was here he was going to operate out of his preaching ministry, his miraculous ministry. It was something like base camp. And as he comes into Capernaum for the first time, we find out that he does there what he always does. Coming into a city, he begins to teach in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And you may recall from last week when he showed up at Nazareth, This carpenter-turned-preacher, this hometown preacher-celebrity arrived once again at his home. They were marveling at his words of grace. Well, notice how the synagogue at Capernaum received his teaching in verse 32. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, you need to know something of how the scribes and the teachers of the law at this time commonly taught the scriptures if you're going to understand why the people there at Capernaum were so astonished at Jesus' teaching. It was common at this time, scribes would stand up to read a particular passage of scripture on the Sabbath day, and then they would sit down to teach. They would sit down to deliver their sermon. But it was normal practice for scribes or teachers for their sermon to consist of little more than quotations from rabbis or popular rabbinic schools. It would be as though they would read a particular passage and say, well, Rabbi Joe says this, and Rabbi Stephen says this, and the rabbinic school of Mark says this. It was something of a derived authority in their preaching. And Jesus shows up. We saw him even do this at the beginning of his ministry last week in verse 21 of Luke chapter 4, He says things like, well, thus saith the Lord. Or, I say today, this scripture is fulfilled in your teaching. Or can you even recall times in the Sermon on the Mount where he does something quite astonishing for the time where he says, well, you have heard it said, 
do not commit murder. But I say, anyone who harbors hate in his heart against his brother has committed murder. There's something of an inherent authority that he's claiming for himself. And this astonishes the people there at the synagogue. And I think some of you may have a, an innate experience of this difference in teaching. Uh, students, you might even think about it now with different teachers you have, or, or you can recall parents, adults, days past, and various college professors. You can have one that comes as though it's just simply reading from the textbook in his instruction or his lecture, and then the next one comes along and speaks before the class with conviction and with clarity. I had something of this kind of difference represented to me a few years ago when I took my first two doctoral seminars back-to-back. Uh, -back. Each was one week long. And so my first seminar I took was with a professor who ordinarily prints out his lecture, gives it to all the students, and then just spends the time reading the lecture in our midst. And I thought, well, if this is what doctoral studies are going to look like, this is going to be a long slog for the next few years. And then the next week, totally different class, totally different professor. He's moving about the room. He's speaking with passion, with clarity. He's speaking with force and plainness. And I think, well, if this is what the next two years are going to be like, this is going to be quite incredible. One can speak the same thing in a way that has authority. Then the same thing can be spoken by another in a way that astonishes with its authority. And even this word astonished here in verse 32 is quite unique. It might mean literally something like being struck out of the mind. It can often mean and be translated as thunderstruck. A modern equivalent, frankly, you know, kids, you might think about it. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He has just blown their minds with what he has said. So powerful, so clear, so authoritative is his teaching. And, and you need to understand that that kind of teaching often has a, a disturbing quality to it. So disturbing, in fact, and notice what happens in verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And the demon cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, one speaking for many? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, a fascinating study you might do this year is just read through the four Gospels in our Bible. Maybe take a friend or a family member or a church member through it and just look at Jesus' battle against spiritual forces. And you'll begin to notice when Jesus shows up, demons tend to always do one thing. They shriek. They howl. There's something about his very presence that is altogether disturbing to the powers of darkness. So Jesus proceeds to rebuke the demon. You'll see in verse 35, he simply says, Be silent, be gone, and out goes the demon. But do you notice again, verse 34, the demon's question have you come to destroy us? Well, we'll see here in a few minutes at the end of our chapter one reason, according to this text, why Jesus came. We know from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. This is the inbreaking of God's kingdom right in our presence today in this text. 
that the demons are losing their grip. Satan's forces are no longer as powerful as they once were. By his very presence and word, the demons leave. And I want you to think about this man possessed by what sure seems to be multiple demons. I thought about him often this week. And as best I can tell and presume, this man would have been in the Sabbath often, or but in the synagogue often on the Sabbath, possessed by these demons, and the demons had never shrieked before. Do you know that houses of worship can sometimes become comfortable places for sin and Satan? That they take up an undisturbed residence in the midst of a people who profess faith in God? But when Jesus truly arrives, the Spirit afflicts us, in our consciences about our sins, we repent of it, we grow in his power and holiness. When Jesus truly dwells among a people, Satan loses his grip on souls. Satan loses the power of his chains in our lives. So mighty is this king that has come. He is the powerful teacher, which is what the people say as much. Notice verse 36. What is this word? For with authority. And power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Jesus is the powerful teacher. Secondly, I want you to see that he's the powerful healer. It was quite common in this culture to enjoy a Sabbath meal together after synagogue worship. And so maybe that's what happened. Simon Peter invites Jesus over to his house for a meal after the Sabbath worship service. Or maybe it's because his mother-in-law was sick. But you'll notice now in verse 38 that when he goes to Simon Peter's house, who will soon become a disciple of Jesus Christ, he finds out that Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they entreated Jesus. They appealed to him on her behalf. So Jesus stands over her. You notice the same word is used of what he did to the demon. He rebuked the demon, and now he rebukes the disease. The high fever leaves, and she does what? She stands up and begins to serve them, verse 39 says. So Jesus is sovereign over demons. Jesus is sovereign over disease. This is the king who has come. And do you not even see something of a powerful portrait of the ordinary life of one who has truly been touched by Christ's power in Simon's mother-in-law? She stands up and begins to serve. It's the delight of God's people when they have been touched by God's Son to begin serving one another in faith and diligence and humility. So Jesus is the powerful teacher. He's the powerful healer. Thirdly, the next scene shows us that he's the powerful liberator. And I want you to notice, even as we read verse 40, the kind of all-encompassing nature of Jesus's Ministry. Do you see this in verse 40? Now when the sun was setting, this is the end of the Sabbath day in Jewish culture. Now the Sabbath was over when the sun set, so people would move about the city freely because they weren't concerned about breaking the legalistic pharisaical rules about how long they could travel on a Sabbath day. So everyone, notice, all those who had any were sick. with Various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. See the expansiveness of Jesus' ministry? All those who were sick, Jesus laid his hands and touched and healed every single one of them, once again demonstrating his power. And 
Let us again even be reminded this morning that we proclaim a, a Lord, we proclaim a Christ who is full of compassion. Our Lord is not stingy in His mercy. He delights to give His healing grace to His hurting people. They came to Jesus bringing Him their needs. They came to Jesus bringing all of their desires and wants, and He touched them. I wonder what need you may need to come and lay before the Lord's feet this morning. Maybe it's the anxiety you feel about your young children, the fear you feel about your older children. Maybe it's that secret sin that seems to have a strangling power on your soul. Maybe it's the despair over a relationship that the Lord has not yet given you. Or maybe it's bitterness over a, a fractured relationship. Or maybe it's the pride with which you so desperately fight against yet seem unable to truly break. See this morning that he loves to touch his people and meet their needs by the power of his spirit, restoring them into his very likeness. And you'll see again his authority over demons. Notice verse 41, and demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. So students, one, one lesson to learn very early, if you haven't learned it early in your life in Christ, that this is the battleground on which God's people fight. It is a battleground that is spiritual in nature. We read earlier this morning, even from our reading of the law in Ephesians chapter 6, that we don't wage war against flesh and blood as often as we make it out to be that way. Where do we fight? Against rulers authorities, forces of darkness in the cosmic realms. So if you've come to Christ in faith, he's enlisted you as his soldier, he's enlisted you into his army, and where do you ordinarily fight? You ordinarily fight on this spiritual battlefield against forces of darkness, against the prince of the power of the air, and you can fight with confidence because Christ has already fought the victory. He has won. Satan's power has been broken over you. But it's fascinating, isn't it, what Jesus does with these? Notice the end of verse 41. Again, our, our word that has often showed up. He rebuked them, but would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Uh, maybe you've come across this before in your readings of the gospel. It's particularly prominent in Mark's gospel. Why does Jesus not want the demons to tell people that he really is the Son of God? Have you ever asked that question before? I heard someone say once it's because Jesus didn't want a demonic PR firm in his ministry. I don't really think that's true, even though at a certain level it may be. Well, what you need to know in the sweep of Jesus' ministry on earth, he needed time in order to reorient people's understanding of what the kingdom truly was all about. How the king was going to inaugurate this very long-expected rule and reign of God. For if he was going to allow people to just go about after healing of disease, healing of demons, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, you're the long-promised one to bring in God's kingdom. What would they think the kingdom is all about? Healing of demons. Demon possession, healing of disease. Yet we find out as the gospel advances that Christ's kingdom is quite different. 
Christ, Christ's kingdom includes that, but it's not principally about that. That Christ is going to inaugurate his kingdom in a way that they didn't expect, even though they should have known it. His death on a cross. He's not merely the victorious king. He is the suffering servant come to save his people. So he's a powerful teacher. He's a powerful healer. Powerful liberator. And fourthly, in our last scene, the powerful preacher. So if you've ever wanted to know what 24 hours looked like in the life of Jesus, here's a concise picture before you. In the morning of the Sabbath, he's teaching in the synagogue. The next morning, which would have been Sunday morning, you'll see at sunrise, verse 42, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Mark's gospel tells us that he went out to pray. And soon the people come out, they find him. Of course, they're all excited about the previous day's events. And do you notice in verse 42 what they wanted to do? They tried to keep him from leaving them. And do you know that we can often do that? Keep the Lord Jesus Christ to ourselves? Try to define his mission by what we need by what we want, when in reality it's much broader than that, much more expansive than that. As Jesus says, notice verse 43, I must preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. It's a gospel he must preach. It's a gospel we saw last week. It was all about fulfillment. It was all about forgiveness. It was all about freedom. He's come to be the powerful preacher and he's to go not just to Capernaum, but throughout the region as well. And so that's exactly what verse 44 tells us he proceeded to do. So this is Jesus' kingly authority, his kingdom power demonstrated before us as he is the powerful teacher, healer, liberator, and preacher. I wonder how many of you have spent uh, the last few days watching any of the Winter Olympics We've uh, done that throughout the last week with our children at home. Some of you know we have six little children, only three or four of which would be somewhat interested in the Olympics. And it's been fascinating to us to see them engage with this sporting event. We're a soccer family, and so we tend to actually only watch soccer games, which means we're not used to commercials and sporting events. And so just the other day, we were watching the ski jump. We I turned it on during the midst of a commercial break and we came back into the live coverage and we saw two ski jumps and then the commercials came right back on. And so the older children were asked, Daddy, why are there so many commercials? But the younger children will actually get a little bit more excited because they're not used to seeing commercials. And so it's not uncommon during the actual extended coverage, the main event is going on, that the little kids will kind of leave the room and they'll go play with a toy, they'll go play some sort of game. And then eventually the commercials come back on and one of the older kids says, guys, the commercials are back on. And so they <laughs> race back in the room to see different things that they've never seen before. They can be some, become so captivated by the commercials that they miss the main event altogether. And I want you to know that such is the danger of so many people in Jesus' ministry. Because even as we begin to conclude, I want you to think of two specific things that we can misunderstand based on this passage. The first of which is we can misunderstand the focus of Jesus' kingdom ministry. Don't you know that we can be some, we become so preoccupied with the commercials for the kingdom, exorcisms of demons, healings of disease, that we miss the actual main event of the kingdom itself. 
which is the heralding of the king who has come to save sinners and forgive them of their sin. You have, if you've been with us in recent weeks, you may feel like this is a redundant application, and I say it is totally a redundant application, but clearly it's something we ought to learn, and we need to make sure that we rest our life upon the reality that the kingdom work to which God has called us in Christ Jesus centers on the teaching and preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's in the preaching of Christ that we encounter this very day His kingdom authority in our lives. Kids, do you want to know what it feels like to hear Jesus come to you with power and authority according to his kingdom? Well, he does that. He delights to do that as he speaks through humble, lowly, yet I hope faithful servants declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I wonder what kind of priority you place on preaching in the church's ministry. J.C. Ryle once said, beware of despising preaching. In every age of the church, preaching has been God's principal instrument for the awakening of sinners and the edifying of saints. And the days when there has been little or no preaching have been days when there has been little or no good done in the church. Pay attention as we keep on walking through Luke's gospel and see how, I want you to give you this phrase, maybe put it in your mind for the rest of our study in the coming weeks and months, how incurably evangelistic Jesus was. He came to seek and to save sinners like you and me. So what was his chief delight and centerpiece of his ministry? Declaring that good news to a lost and weary and wandering world who needed it most. So then I, I think it is right for us to even examine ourselves on this point. What a delight it is to be among a people who are incurably evangelistic. So is their love for Christ and awareness of the plight of sin. Let's be careful that we never have to work hard to promote evangelism in our midst the preaching of Christ in our midst, to support church plants who are trying to do the exact same individuals sent by the church to engage the nations with the truth of Jesus Christ. We dare not misunderstand the focus of Jesus' kingdom work. And the second thing we don't want to misunderstand is that you can know the truth about Jesus and not embrace the truth about Jesus. Do you acknowledge that Jesus has all authority and all ability in the kingdom. You should. We say, good, but you're no better than a demon at that point. It's powerful, isn't it, to see the demon say, we know who you are, Holy One of God, the eternal begotten Son of God. They know it, but they don't embrace it. They don't trust it, they despise it, hate it, war against it, try to stop it. So yes, do acknowledge that Jesus has all authority and ability, but it's not merely enough to just acknowledge it. The call of Christ is to lay down your life before him. He has all of the kingdom's authority, so what is the ordinary response of the world supposed to be but submission to him in faith and repentance? Uh, so maybe you're in here this morning and you've not done that. 
not come to Christ, turning from your sin and trusting in him. May this be the day that you finally understand it's not merely enough just to know him. The call is to embrace him by turning from your sin and trusting in him. And of course, it's the great delight of our Lord Jesus Christ to embrace his people, to come to them, for that's what he did. He came to inaugurate God's kingdom. He came to secure God's kingdom through his death, burial, resurrection, risen to the Father's right hand, ascended on high, pouring out his spirit on the church so that we might get to experience his kingdom authority through his ongoing ministry of his word and his spirit. He still is the powerful teacher and preacher, healer and liberator, the one to whom all authority in the kingdom belongs. Is it relief that brings you into belief? Is it knowledge that you trust and embrace with your heart? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Christ came in power, that even his death on the cross, which the world counts as foolishness and weakness, is nothing more than your eternal power manifested unto us. So Lord, we want to be a people that grows in faith. Give us even now a full measure of your spirit that we might turn from our sin, that we might embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, this great King of kings, who came in humility and meekness and love to save sinners such as us. And we do pray all of these things in his name. Amen.